We're going to have a great conversation, and we're glad that you're here. Our moderator is Ben Bradford. He is uh, one of our reporters in that expanding WFAE news department that I just told you about. Delighted. Uh, he's very well suited to uh, moderate this conversation. So please welcome Ben Bradford. Great, thank you. Yeah, I'm the new guy, so they gave me this rowdy crowd. <laughs> All right, so we are here today to talk about the film industry in Charlotte, and um, there are, we're going to do this, as Mark said, in two parts. Um, first of all, uh, we are going to the whole the whole point of this is to look at first about where where the film industry has, has been, how it has been here, what it's doing now, and where it's going. And first of all, we're going to talk about that pretty generally um, with, our, with our guests who are here right now. And then we're going to do a second panel that's going to be talking specifically about the state's film incentives, which I know is a uh, near and dear issue to many of your hearts. Um, and so we'll be, we'll be getting into that and talking about the economics of that in our, in our, in our second panel. Um, first of all, let's do the little housekeeping thing. Uh, go ahead and turn off your, your, your ringers on your phones, although if you'd like to keep your phones on because you want to uh, tweet, uh, the hashtag that we're using for this is it's going to be hashtag WFAE PubCon, P-U-B-C-O-N. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and, you know, yeah, it's uh, uh, hashtag WFAE P-U-B-C-O-N, WFAE PubCon. All right, so many of you have not been to one of our public conversations before. Let me see a show of hands of how many people here are involved in the film industry. Great. All right. So uh, as, as Mark said, we're going to draw on your experience as well. Um, there have been uh, many films, as, as, as you guys know, throughout the years in, uh, uh, here in North Carolina, starting with, you know, we can talk about uh, one of my personal favorites, Day, Days of Thunder or uh, Cold Mountain or The Color Purple. And then uh, more recently, right, we've started to get some big TV series here, Homeland, for instance, and uh, and again, one of, one, of, one of my personal favorites, I know news director Greg Collard's personal favorite, The Bachelorette. Um, <laughs> so we have that. Um, and of course, that's uh, all resulted in, uh, according to the North Carolina Film Office, about a billion dollars in spending here since 2007. Um, so that's, that's sort of the, the ground that we're starting on. That's the, uh, the, the amount of money that's been spent here. Uh, let me go ahead and introduce uh, our panelists who've been waiting Patiently here, uh, over, and I think, I, although you, uh, most of you probably already know, uh, know our panelists, it would appear. Uh, first of all, is a uh, uh, Paige Thomas. Uh, Hi, yeah, let's give her a round. Okay, let's do that. So, uh, Paige is currently a casting director and co-owner of Corrigan and Johnston Casting in Charlotte. She coordinates and directs auditions for TV commercials, films, and corporate videos. Uh, commercial clients include Harris Teeter, Coke, Target, and NASCAR. Uh, and Ms. Johnson has also performed in numerous plays and has been a director with the Carolina Actors Studio Theater and Theater Charlotte. And then to my left, we have John Schwart. <laughs> All right, and John is a film and commercial writer, director, and producer. After a marketing and advertising career in the banking industry, he founded Fourth Ward Productions in Charlotte in 2004. And uh, Mr. Schwartz's films have played at dozens of film festivals. His credits include work as a location manager on productions including The Hunger Games, Homeland, and my news director's favorite, The Bachelorette. Um, 
So let's, uh, let's, let's, let's set this up here just to start off with, and, and John, I'll start with you. Um, you, work, you work on shows of, of, of all sizes. You produce independent films, commercials, uh, and, and as we just said, you work in location and production, production management. So what do we have here? Well, that's a pretty broad question. <laughs> it is broad. Uh, you know, in my experience, I'm sure Paige can speak to this too, that in the last few years, since the, especially since the incentive has passed, there's just been a lot of both feature film productions of pretty large scale like The Hunger Games and some smaller productions, some of the independent films. And um, I think it's really presented an opportunity to grow uh, for new people to get into the industry, for people that have worked in it for a long time to move up and just created a lot of, you know, essentially new opportunities. Um, you know, I don't know the numbers, but they certainly seem to be uh, on the uptick rather than on the downtick. And I think that's a result of the locations, the crews, you know, the availability of things here in, in the Carolinas in general, not just Charlotte, but sort of throughout the state, Wilmington, Raleigh, all over right. the place. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, in, terms of, in terms of acting, what are, the, what are the opportunities here that we see? There's lots of opportunity here. Um, yeah, we have, in, I'd say in the past couple of years, business has exponentially been growing. We have been getting busier and busier. I see some talent agents out here, actors that can attest to that. It is, it's like North Carolina has become like the new hot market. Um, so we're getting a lot of calls. We're getting uh, repeat customers from clients that we worked with years ago. Um, we are pretty constantly busy, and actors are working. And what's the main thing that, that we're casting out here? What are the main kinds of roles? Um, well, a lot of them are, well, it depends what you're talking about. We have TV commercial production, and then we have film, uh, commercial production, and then we have film production. A lot of them are principal day player roles. I mean, they are speaking roles. Um, some of them, yes, may have one line or two lines on a TV series, but that's work. Um, commercial production, there's all kinds of principals Mainly, so there are really nice roles available. Right, and and for commercials, what's our what's our what's our big draw here for commercials? NASCAR. <laughs> I never thought I would say thank God for NASCAR, <laughs> but thank God for NASCAR. I've, I've I've learned to love the sport. Yeah, for um for for commercial land, I would say about seventy percent of our business is NASCAR related, not necessarily with NASCAR, but it either has a driver attached to it, a sponsor, and so. A lot of times we'll have huge productions that will come in, you know, Miller Lite, uh, UPS, that are bringing in. We've got the race car drivers here, so the big L.A. production company or the, you know, New York ad agency, they're all coming here, and we cast all the principals except for the driver. So that's been a pretty nice coup for us. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of the, the other side of the shows, what, what, um, let's start with this. With the, the, the small productions, uh, when you're doing uh, commercials or you're doing you know, smaller independent films, it's all local. Yeah, it really primarily, uh, you know, uh, Page cast a film I did a few years ago called Insignificant Others, and the entire film uh, was cast here pretty much in Charlotte. I think there was a few people that came from Winston-Salem. But uh, North Carolina. But North, entirely in North Carolina, yeah. And I think that, um, I won't say it's a result of more film shooting here. I think it's more a result of uh, people you know, actors coming up through the ranks and whatnot, and just having a big, you know, base of base of cast here. I think it's some somewhat related to the um, theater productions that happen here in town as well. That it's sort of a breeding ground for for good actors to develop their to develop their craft. And, and the crew as well. Is, and the crew uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think North Carolina School of the Arts has a great program. The last film I did up and uh, we did it, just did a film up in Davidson, and I production managed called uh, Westbrook High and. 
probably 30 or 40% of the crew was graduates of North Carolina School of the Arts. And, you know, in a film like that, it's primarily younger, you know, uh, guys and girls that are two or three years out of school. That's their, not their first project, but it's their first project running a department or, uh, you know, doing more than they've done in student film projects or, you know, PA work or second or third assistant type of work. They're moving up and, and getting that opportunity to work in a department head role on a, on a smaller film, you know, mm. half a million dollar size film or something like that. And, and when the larger films are, are, are coming here, uh, what, what are they hiring for? Uh, you know, it depends on the film. It's always just a little bit different. I, what, what, what tends to happen, in my opinion, is that a lot of, depending on the size of the film, a lot of the much larger films have their key department heads that do come in from out of town. They're, they're packaged sort of with the film, the production designer, the director of photography. But the other folks that are in each of those departments are locally hired, typically. You know, whether That'd it's be the same for actors. Yeah. Usually, if you know the, the homeland's going to bring bringing in their L.A. somewhat name actors, sure, and then all, everybody else is from here. Right. And, and, you know, there is situations, and I'm sure Paige's experience, where it gets a little sticky where sometimes that role that should have been local gets cast out of town. And that does happen, but it's not, it's not because of lack of talent, certainly. It's just political sometimes. Yeah, and on that note, I have found that, uh, you know, over the years, been doing this now for almost 20 years, good Lord, um, that I, over the years people that I've found that say, you know, they're going to L.A., they're going to New York, you know, the, the typical actor thing, everybody wants to go off and find stardom. Well, the amount of actors making that decision has increasingly been going down. And I find that a testament to what North Carolina has to offer. There's ne not a need necessarily to be in L.A. and to be in New York. I've got, we, I know actors here that are working more than my actor friends who are working in L.A. and in New York and getting better roles, better paid roles. And so that's a really interesting thing to see how many actors are choosing to stay in this area as opposed to leaving. Yeah. Yeah, and now, you know, in Los Angeles, you're competing with 3,000 people for the same role here. You're competing with five or six. So, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now there's, there's other aspects of this industry. I'm going to start drawing in some people who I think we have uh, in the audience here. Um, so if our folks with microphones are ready. Is, uh, is, is Carol Todd in the audience here right over there? Okay, can we get Carol microphone? So, so Carol um, is the owner of Big Arts Graphics. Um, and... Uh, uh, once, once you have a microphone, uh, uh, t tell us a little about what your business does. Well, we're a grand format printer, and um, we've been doing a lot of backdrop backings um, for a lot of the feature films and TV shows. Um, we started way back with One Tree Hill, you know, about eight years ago. Um, I worked for a grand format printer in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And, and for those of us here who aren't here who aren't in the film industry here, those, you know, four of you, uh, explain what, what that is. Uh, uh, like, what kind of backdrops are we talking about? What, what sort of things might you print? Well, for instance, you know, um, when you have a set, um, especially on the inside set or, uh, you know, um, at a feature film in one of the studios, they have um, backdrops, and they are... Um, Outside of the so, if you're talking for Homeland, we're talking about like an enormous picture of the Capitol in exactly. Washington D.C. being, you know, filmed exactly. out here. Exactly. I think one of the largest ones we did was like um, 50 feet by 200 feet. So and they're they're large, but typically they run around 16 feet by 60 or 90 feet. Do you print exclu exclusively for the film industry? No, we do other things. You know, we do billboards and truck sides and large banners, but for the most part, we focus on film. How, how, is that, uh, how has that changed over the last few years? Actually, it's increased quite a bit. Um, <clears throat> I've worked the Mid-Atlantic um, 
for my previous company for about eight years. And it seems more and more that the film people are coming here as versus going, staying out, you know, or, or even ordering their products out um, from LA. Right. Uh, because it's just so expensive. And we are becoming, I've been told, you know, the uh, LA, the East Coast LA, you know. Mm. So it's, uh, it's been, especially I would say in the last three or four years, you know, with Wilmington, you know, with the studio there, um, it's really increased. And of course, Homeland's here. And I've done some stuff for uh, Army Wives in Charleston. And, uh, there's some stuff going on in Charleston. Atlanta's gone crazy. Yeah. So East Great. Coast is, you know, doing a lot. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to highlight her because uh, uh, she emailed us that she was coming to the event, and I think it's a nice example of sort of the indirect economic benefit. So, for instance, uh, you can probably talk a little bit about this uh, when you're uh, building a set, for instance, right? There's a lot of things that go into it that are. Uh, or uh, props, a lot of things that, are, that go into it that are that are coming out of the local economy, even though if they're not directly involved in the film industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think our third our third arm D wasn't able to make it, so I guess we'll sort of fill in yeah, the role. But yeah, we had a, yeah. another person that was. Yeah, we had a, a D Blackman was going to be here, but uh, people are very flaky uh, because we keep getting work, uh, which is great. Uh, but uh, yeah, D is the as uh, uh, a set designer for 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 uh, Banshee and uh, some other things, and, and unfortunately got a. Uh, not unfortunately. Fortunately, got a last-minute uh, uh, job, and, and unfortunately for us, couldn't be here. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. So I'll pretend to speak for her and pretend yeah. I know what I'm talking about. So, I, you know, um, like she was saying, a lot of times you'll build a set and you'll need it to look like, for example, Homeland in D.C. and that sort of thing. And, and that's, you know, that's across the board, whether it's generators from Sunbell Rentals and, you know, condors to lift, to lift lights up or to get to certain places on a set. Usually that's sort of bigger film problems, if you will. Smaller films don't really have those problems because they don't have as much money. But yeah, the, the amount of things that are not directly related to the film industry that benefit from it, hotels, car rentals, you know, it's just a real, uh, it touches a lot of different areas um, in addition to just crew and film camera rental type of stuff. So it really touches a lot of worlds. Yeah. All right, so I, I'm going to start doing this. Uh, if, if you want to add, so remember, we're, we're going to get to the, to the incentives part next. Um, so I, I want to sort of stay away from, from that part of the from that part of discussion. But if you have questions uh, to start off with, um, yeah, uh, for these people, we're going to start being able to, to, to draw the audience in. You, know, you do exactly what this gentleman is doing, what this gentleman is doing, which is you raise your hand, and um, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll pass the mics along all very civilly. And um, and speaking of which. Uh, do we have our? Uh, no, we don't. Um, yeah, uh, that's the other part we're going to do, right? We got a lot of people here. Uh, try to keep our remarks uh, concise, uh, uh, keep them brief, uh, and and we'll have a good discussion. So, uh, who, who do we have first? Who, who's that? Yeah, right there. Okay, yes, sir. This is a right-to-work state, and I'm going to run this scenario by you. Two people are, have a callback for a speaking role on whatever work is done. Does the person who is a member of Screen Actors Guild have an advantage or a disadvantage in that process making the final decision? Has absolutely no bearing on the final decision. I have said this before, and I, I, it's almost the point where when you have a resume, it is rare when the client, the producer, the director will look at that resume. It usually comes in time of either crisis because they can't make a decision or in an attempt to have a conversation with an actor and to engage them. That is when your resume is the most important. 
And those are rare occasions because usually it is, can we pick you up from the audition room and put you in that role? Can you play that character? So no, it doesn't matter about whether you are a SAG member or not. A lot of times we'll have, let's say with a commercial, we will have a big BBDO advertising agency who is the SAG signatory. And they are not used sometimes to working in a right-to-work state. So they are nervous about hiring a non-union person on this SAG job. And we, that is my job as a casting director to assure them we are in a right-to-work state. We all have an equal opportunity here. And once that's said, there's no question. Because then it becomes the creative decision that once that business decision has been made, the director, the producers are now just looking, do they want you for that role, no matter what your affiliation is? Yeah, and I, and I would totally concur with that. Usually, you know, in my experience, and Paige has gone through this a lot more, it doesn't become a problem until after they shoot and they have to do all the, you know, the, the, it's a production's problem. But it, it, in the front end of it, I don't think it has anything to do with casting. No. Uh, who's our next person with the, with the microphone here? Yeah, sir. Um, it, in, terms of, um, in terms of crew, out-of-state talent versus local talent, where's the line in terms of what the, the major amount of work that happens here for people in the state, in the Charlotte area, versus people who are always brought in? Where, where's that level? I, I think it depends on the size of the film. Um, for example, without naming a series of films, films that are $20 million or over, most of the department heads, the production designer, the director of photography, costume designer, all of those roles are typically packaged as part of the film with whatever studio makes that film. So those people typically come in from out of town where, uh, and I kind of wish Dee was here to speak to this, but where I see it, the rest of the department filling out, most of the time, if it's a five-person department, three to four of those people are local. Sometimes if it's a bigger film, it's the costume designer, the assistant costume designer, for example, and the three other people are hired locally. And there's a really good crew base. Luckily, for because commercials have been here for 20 years, NASCAR commercials have really developed a really solid crew base to fill out those departments. And there's no pre-production uh, here? There's lots uh, pre-production, absolutely, as far as um, when you prep a film, yeah, for, you know, those bigger films, they'll be prepping for two, three months, uh, depending on the, on the film. And I've done some locations work in those films where you're scouting months ahead of time uh, before the film shoots. Post-production, um, again, I think it's kind of a political thing. I, I don't think it's a North Carolina versus another state issue. I think it's more related to studio executives for, you know, big film that's going to go back and be cut at the studio most likely. You know, that's subject to change, though, I think. Hopefully. All right, we have somebody up here, I believe, with the microphone. Uh, yes, sir. We've been having productions from out of state, such as L.A., come in for a, a, um, some time, obviously, and it's been increasing over the years. Um, but traditionally, a lot of the post-production has actually remained in L.A., and as you know, with all those special effects and, and uh, 3D animation and all kinds of stuff like that, that's a huge portion of the industry with a lot of revenue flowing through it. If this were, were to continue to stay in this area, would you say it would be safe to say that a lot of that work would also come to this area and bring more revenue here in that part of the production process as well? I, I would think so. And I know that a film I did in Wilmington last year, they did all of their, all of their post-audio here. Uh, they use Concentrics. I don't know if Fred's here or not, but they use Concentrics music and sound design here in town um, because all of, the, all of that spend qualified for the incentive. Um, so, so yes and no. I mean, I think... Again, the small, mid-size or smaller films tend to have their own editor wherever they're from. Um, but the larger films, it's, I think it's such a paradigm shift. I don't know. I think it would be hard to 
it's, it's sort of a hard conversation course, to have. Yeah, I mean, eventually, of course, you know, as the work increases, so does the crew base, and so does who of the crew they are hiring. Are there any other states that have um, that large base that have uh, a post-production that's, that's typically done there that have sort of those other elements? I mean, at what point does it stop? I mean, right now, the all the big studios are based, and we may have discussed this. The all, all the big studios are. Are, are based in L.A. or New York. I mean, is that is that pretty much change? L.A.? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is that I mean, is that going to change? I, I don't think so. And I think it's not. You know, it's not a product again of North Carolina. I think it's a product of all of the studios are owned by large conglomerates. Sony, you know, it, it's they're just enormous companies, and that that shoot a film in a place wherever that place is and optimize their time there. But at the end of the day, it has to go back to who is in charge of that company, which is typically a studio. Um, Columbia Pictures or whoever it is, and that's supervised by the executive. So yes and no. I, th I think some of it can be done here, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of it has to go back there. Great. Someone has our microphone over here. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, my question is, what are the opportunities for African-American women actors in Charlotte, North Carolina? Like, is there a large platform for us? I, I mean, yes. I, 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 I get requests. I mean, I... I have auditions numerous times a week, and I, it is a very diverse group of actors that I am bringing in. Um, I think diversity is very important, especially in TV commercial production. I think it is something that the clients, the producers really look at, so we make sure, they make sure that we have got a really diverse crowd auditioning. So to me, it is just as strong as any other race. But for 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 theater and film, for theater, for film, for TV commercial, definitely. Thank you. Great. Um, who's our next person with the mic? Right here. Uh, oh, is there someone in the middle? Okay. Um, Andrea Michelle, and I'm an actor as well, so it's like an actor's moment. Um, but I think a similar question is that in trying to get extra work for Homeland, someone told me that I should not use my actor headshot. I should use like a regular shot so they think I'm a regular human and not an actor. Is this true? Well, well it's funny because <laughs> I, I think what the mentality sometimes with directors, producers, is the feeling of authenticity, okay? So I often say when people come to audition, come in the essence of that character because what they don't want to feel is that they're hiring an actor who, you know, has to do that, you know, in scene. Um, that really turns a lot of people off because they really want to feel that they are hiring somebody who embodies that character. So I think the advice is a little misguided, and you shouldn't have to hide your resume or your headshot, but is being as genuine a person as possible and not playing up the actor card too much. We don't care that you played Ophelia when you were in 12th grade. What we care is do you walk in and can, you, can I believe that you are a person walking the streets in D.C.? You're brilliant, darling. I know. <laughs> have you ever had somebody end their audition by going scene? Oh, oh, I, I, I have had people I, end their audition. I do that during scene. conversations. With <laughs> <people>. <laughs> wow. uh, yes, over, over here, sir. Getting back to the studio questions. Um, with Median building the largest studio in Savannah right now in the United States, how does Charlotte, you think we're going to compete? By having another studio like it? <laughs> I, yeah. I think the challenge, and it's sort of similar to the question, is the capital investment that it would take to develop 
what even Wilmington has with uh, screen gems down there. It's a it's a significant capital investment, and the question becomes who's going to you know who's going to do that. And I, I think that conversation has been happening here for ten years, and I don't know if there's an answer to it, but I also don't know if it's really what's needed. I mean, I, I think part of what what is offered here is location diversity, and I think that's great and a strong crew base. And Homeland and never they don't yeah and talent and Homeland never used the soundstage; they built their own. It's per project, I think so. It can kind of work without it, potentially. Yeah. And that's just my opinion. Uh, Hunger Games didn't use any sound stages either. I think they just rented warehouses and built all their own, from what I remember. Great. Who's got our, our mic over there? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, my name is James Carruthers. I'm a musician and uh, have a studio that I work out of. And I've done some uh, scoring work for current TV. Is there, I know you mentioned uh, music, is there a way to, as a pr production house or producer to get? Uh, I guess the backfield music circulated, or is that something that's kind of uh, kind of already set aside for for folks who have kind of been in the business for a while? In my experience, uh, connecting with post audio houses like Concentrics, uh, there's a couple others in town whose names are escaping me. Charles uh, Holloman. Oh yeah, uh, Ground Crew. Ground Crew. Yeah. So there are a number of audio houses, good audio houses yeah. in Charlotte. Because typically a production is looking for somebody that can do all of it, and as opposed to we just need one song. So that producer ne wouldn't necessarily come to a musician. They would go to a post house that where a music supervisor would find the music to acquire for that particular film or whatever that project might be. Um, now, if your skills are that, you can do you can score anything and do the sound design and do the mix and the master and all that. Well, that's different than you are a post house. But I think connecting with the post houses that exist would be probably the best choice. And getting yourself signed up on the Charlotte Film Guide sure. booklet and getting yourself known out there in case somebody's searching for it, you're registered? All right, someone, uh, yes, sir. Uh, yes, um, I know there's been some talk about possibly developing Eastland Mall into a film school, studio, whatever. There's a idea, there's, you know, a developer talked about that. I guess from your all's perspective, what advantages or what positives would that bring? How, if, you know, how meaningful would that be to the development of the film industry here in Charlotte and surrounding area? We actually have in our audience the <laughs> um, the two that are working on that project. Um, you know, it's hard to tell what the future holds with that. I mean, I think the the prospect of Charlotte having a vibrant, huge movie studio, and if it was filled to capacity. How amazing would that be? I mean, that would be amazing. So um, the details I'm going to leave to somebody else. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about what it is that you're doing? You no, you don't. About it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be we'll be we'll be surprised. Well, I mean, um, our goal is to build one of the largest uh, studio complexes outside of Los Angeles. And when you look at our partners who we have in place, uh, one being a 14 billion dollar publicly traded company and Pacific Ventures, which is one of the largest soundstage management companies in the United States, I think we've got a good chance of pulling it off. But that's a discussion for group two when we get to the incentives. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and we will, we will get there. Um, great. Uh, who's, who, who do we have next with the, with the microphone? Do we have other, other questions here? No? Okay. Uh, raise, remember, raise your hand if you have, if you have a question you want, you want to ask something. All right. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting, I, I called around a few people because I knew we had so many people in the uh, uh, in the film industry here, um, 
and, uh, and Paige kind of touched on this earlier about people moving here and having opportunities here, uh, even from uh, LA or, or New York. Um, is, is, is Michelle Filkoff here in the, in, in the audience? Uh, raise your hand, okay, yeah. Uh, Marsha, can you pass the microphone over there? Yeah, so, so Michelle, you moved, uh, you decided to move to, to North Carolina uh, uh, from New Mexico, uh, as opposed to going to, uh, it, Michelle's been um, looking for work and working as a uh, production assistant for about a year now, and you moved from New Mexico to North Carolina. Why not move to uh, L.A. or New York? Well, I actually uh, grew up in L.A. and Orange County. Oops, sorry. Um, I, I grew up in L.A. and Orange County, and I know how it is there, and I just was like, I really want to have people get to know me and know what I can do. And with, with more people and uh, that can actually see me and my talent, that I could actually uh, do something really cool. So I, I was in New Mexico, and I graduated with a degree in creative media, four and a half years. And then, um, I'm going to say it very, very briefly, the incentive did not go well for about a year, and I was not able to find anything to do. So then I heard how amazing it is here in Charlotte, and I thought, wow, I could really do something here. And so I decided to move here. And I've been able to work a couple of TV shows. And it was very cool. And I'm still looking for work. So if anyone needs PA, I'm here. <laughs> I also do all kinds of other stuff. I have resumes. I came, I came loaded. So. <laughs> I have a suspicion that some people are using it. Yeah, there's, a, there's a networking thing happening here at the same time. That's all right. It's always Paige, right? Paige a, will take happen, a right? big network. Yeah, absolutely. Paige, Paige will take all of your headshots at the end of the yeah. I will. We've been holding that joke all night. I've been waiting to tell that. Uh, all right, great. Well, uh, uh, do we have any more uh, audience questions here? Or are we there? Uh, yes. Let's pass that mic over. Hi, Paige. I'm Jesse Boswell with Screen Artist Talent. This is Ashley. We're both agents. I'm always telling my actors, get your auditions professionally done. Um, is Instead of getting them done like with their phones themselves, um, is there, there is a difference um, when you're casting with the professional quality versus if they do it with their phones themselves. There is right? a huge difference. Um, with with, our, with the, the way technology is going and with everybody having access to be able to put themselves on tape with their, with their phones and with the ability that now if somebody is in Wilmington or if somebody is in Raleigh, we don't have to have them drive for the initial audition. So we are allowing a lot of what we're calling self-submissions. And so part of my job as a casting director is to take, get, look at all of the self-submissions. That is one of the reasons why I'm hired, is so that I can go through and filter out the people who stand in their bathtub to film their audition. I do not know why. Maybe it's the acoustics, or I have no idea. But there are a number of them where people are literally in their bathtubs filming. It's like their wife or their husband is filming them, and I, it blows my mind. So... Honestly, what happens when you see that, I can't, done. Because my job is to who can I put on set? I cannot put somebody on set who has got a shower curtain as their backdrop. You know, that says to me, are you taking this seriously and do you mean what you're doing? No, they don't. Move on to the next person who has either found a way. I am not saying that you have to go and buy a studio. There are companies out there that do it. We do it at CNJ Casting. Or you find a way to have a blank wall Somebody holding your camera, maybe put it on a tripod. Don't do a selfie for your self-tape. It's not, it doesn't work. Um, so 
Does that answer your question? Yeah, I just wanted <laughs> I'm to very passionate say, about this. I just wanted to go back and say, she said it, please go get your professions auditionally <laughs> professionally done. Yes, because you will be passed by. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Selfies. <laughs> All right, I think we have uh, just a, a couple more, and then I think we're going to begin movement to our... Hi, yes, I was just wondering... Um, what is included in that $1 billion uh, figure that's been spent in North Carolina since 2007? Is, does it include these other industries, the, uh, you know, any, right down to what the crew goes out and spends on their kit or on food? What, where, does it, where does that number end? I think it includes all of that, but I'll defer to the moderator. Yeah, actually, we're going to defer to uh, to reporter Julie Rose right here. Uh, Julie's done a uh, uh, done an extensive look at the film industry and incentives, so I might I might push over to her a couple of times just for her expert knowledge. Yeah, the uh, the one billion dollars figure comes is since 2007 when the incentives began in North Carolina, and it comes from the North Carolina Film Office, and they are only counting. They're very adamant about that. That only counts what we call direct spending. So it's what a production spends while it's in North Carolina filming. So that does include food, anything they buy in North Carolina. It also includes the entire payroll, including however much money Robert Downey Jr. made when he was doing Iron Man in North Carolina, and however much money Claire Danes is making on Homeland. So it's crew wages, it's star wages, and money they spend on rentals, money they spend on local accountants, caterers, all that. Right. But none of the sort of Indirect, which is where you get into, you know, the the crew members who then go buy gas for their cars and groceries in their house and put their students, their kids in private school or whatever. You know, it's like not it's not that extra stuff. Great. All right. Thanks. Uh, do we have uh, uh, anything else? We're gonna we're gonna okay, we're gonna go ahead and before right before we go to um, our, our our second panel here, um, I just want to sort of get our, our our filmmakers to answer. Um, a quick question here. Um, what would be here without the incentives? What would be here? Uh, what you mean as far as what would you? I'll, what kind of what kind of productions would we have without the incentives? A lot less. Yeah, I think there'd <laughs> certainly still yeah, be. I, I mean, mean, before 2000, I think the new incentive started in 2010. 10. 10. Yeah. So before that, it was uh, it was just different. It wasn't nearly the the just pure volume. It was much less. And before 2008, it was even less as far as films go. Um, you know, you'd have your one occasional film per year based on locations that only North Carolina yeah, provided. All of the TV series become, wouldn't be here. Homeland right. wouldn't be here. Banshee wouldn't be sure. here. Um, CNJ does a lot of TV commercials. We just worked on the Audi spot that would not have been here had Claire Danes not been here working right. on Homeland. Um, so there, there is the trickle down. So even the commercial industry, which is not totally dependent on the incentives, but the commercial industry will hugely increase with other projects coming in because we will have trickle-down, for example, like the Audi commercial with right. Claire Danes in it. And, and the trickle-down to smaller films as well, those films that are under a million dollars that you might that don't get a lot of press, that aren't very sexy because they don't have Robert Downey Jr. in them, but they are a way to develop talent both in cast and crew, and it still financially benefits the area because of the sort of the domino effect of those people and the purchasing power of those, of those folks, sort of the money multiplier effect, if you will. Great. All right. Um, 
let's give a round of applause to uh, Paige and John, our first panel. All right. Thank you both very much. And then uh, there. Yeah, you guys can go right, yeah, right over here. We got some, we got some special reserved seats right for you. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to move on now. I'm going to uh, welcome our second guests here and, and, and their new water. Uh, all right, so uh, I guess we, we, we can applaud them as they walk up. First, we have uh, Representative. All right, so we have, uh, uh, you just applauded Representative uh, uh, Becky Carney, um, who is a member of the North Carolina House of Representatives from Mecklenburg County. She's currently serving her sixth term in the State House and is a member of the Commerce and Job Development Committee, where the future of North Carolina's film incentives program will be considered. And uh, Representative Carney is an advocate for the state's film incentives. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> John. <laughs> yeah. All right, and uh, to my right we have uh, we have we have John Sanders. Let's give John Sanders a round of applause for coming down here. All right. So John came all the way down from Raleigh. He's the director of regulatory studies at the John Locke Foundation. He's been an adjunct professor in economics at NC State and has appeared in publications including the Wall Street Journal and National Review. And last year, Mr. Sanders wrote a research paper that referred to North Carolina's film incentives as good old-fashioned corporate welfare. Now, um, I, I think that it, it's really important that we do thank, I, I know we have, have a lot of people uh, who, this is your industry, and uh, uh, you are very uh, and, and understandably possessive of it, but I think that uh, we do need to thank John for coming down here to provide the point of viewpoint that he's going to provide. Because I think you all would agree it's very important for you to hear this side of the discussion. So um, before we uh, 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 switch over to our, to our panelists here, I just want to do a quick rundown of what the film incentive actually is, what it is that films are getting uh, when, they, when, when, they, when they agree to come here, right? So um, the, the first thing is that it's a 25% refundable credit. And that's, that's since 2009. Um, as, we were, uh, as we just mentioned before that, it was, it was 15%, um, and it requires a minimum $250,000 investment from a film company to, uh, uh, to, to get it. So a lot of those smaller commercials, uh, smaller independent films, things like that, don't qualify because they don't meet that minimum threshold. Uh, there is a $20 million cap per project. We have had one project here that has met that cap, and that's Iron Man 3, um, this, uh, uh, just this recently here. And um, let's see, I think we have a, a chart that shows, um, yep, there we go, that uh, shows uh, what, who's been taking advantage of the film incentives, how many, how many people have been taking advantage of it. And so that shows you uh, the, the, the credits that have been taken, not necessarily paid out yet, but that have been taken. It was um, uh, 69 million dollars in uh, 2012. Uh, let's see here. What else do I need to get to before we, uh, before we, we get into the questions? Um, I, think, I, think, I think we'll start there. And um, let, let's, let's start with John. John, I want you to just uh, give us the case for um, what's, what's, what's the deal with these incentives? What's wrong with these incentives? <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, that's like your first question to him. It's just very open. Um, first of all, I want to thank you all for having me, and uh, I do understand I'm wearing the black hat here. Uh, the case against them is essentially the case against economic incentives in general, at least from my viewpoint as, as someone in favor of free market um, capitalism. Uh, it is that you are removing resources from a vast pool of people and giving them to a small amount. And what you see is, yes, where the resources go, there is job creation. It is definitely beneficial but to the, to the industry. But to the economy as a whole, it is actually negligible. It is not beneficial to the economy as a whole. That is generally the case. Um, <laughs> for the uh, film incentives specifically, when I looked at them, I looked at how they developed. You know, North Carolina in the 80s and 90s was actually a, a pretty good hotbed of filmmaking, um, and one of my favorite, all-time favorite films was made here, Last of the Mohicans. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had some friends come to Charlotte when I was visiting here, and I wanted to take them up to, to Hickory Nut Falls to show them where that movie was made because I, I love that. It's so pretty. Um, but that was before states got into film incentives. Uh, Louisiana started it, if I remember correctly, it was in 1992. Um, in the early 2000s, it really expanded until most of the states are now doing them. But it's not just the, uh, the states. It's also other countries. Uh, we, we see a lot of a lot of incentives now in Eastern Europe, um, Alaska, I mean Alaska, Australia, um, Canada. In fact, there's there's some infighting in Canada and and in Europe over how are we going to manage these incentives because we have a race to the bottom here. And so that's what I fear is going to happen here, is that we will continue to to fight other states that are offering the same incentives. And so we'll have to offer bigger packages two or three years from now to get the same sort of thing that we're doing now. Right. And, and there is a difference between uh, the way that the uh, film incentives are set up and pretty much every other uh, tax incentive um, that's, that, that's offered in the state. Uh, well, and that's, that difference. that's a good point, too. Most economic incentives programs in the state have sort of a quid pro quo in that yeah, you will agree to move your company here, create X number of jobs, stay here X number of years, and that will satisfy the conditions for, for getting the incentive. The film incentive is basically you spend this amount of money, we'll give you this much back. And so, for instance, yeah, Chiquita comes here and we say, okay, you're here 10 years and you get a certain percentage of the taxes that you pay returned to you. Uh, whereas uh, uh, Phil, uh, Iron Man 3 comes here and uh, they say we spent X amount and the state says, okay, here's uh, X number of dollars back. Right. Okay. One other unique thing about the film incentive in North Carolina compared with the other economic incentives is that it's an open-ended incentive. It's an open-ended draw on the, tre on the Treasury, which, um, at least according to the Institute for Const Constitutional Law, uh, suggests that it might be unconstitutional in North Carolina because supposedly 
any draw on the Treasury should be approved by a vote of the legislature. But that has not been brought to the courts, but it is a potential issue. Okay. And then uh, we're going to go to the sort of the, the other side of things here. We've talked about the uh, billion dollars in economic benefit. Uh, you talk a little bit about uh, your support for, for, for the incentives, why you think this is a, a valuable thing. Well, I, too, want to thank you for having me here. But more importantly, I want to thank you for having this dialogue. <clears throat> this is a, uh, an industry that I, quite frankly, uh, am glad to see that we have had one company that has reached that threshold. What is that telling us about what the industry has done in North Carolina, how it's grown? Um, you know, this, is, this industry is not like a business industry, like a Pillotech. That, or a company, which is a company that folded here. Um, you, you, a FedEx, for instance, let's use that as an example, or any corporation says, we're looking at, they go to the Department of Commerce, they make their plea for an incentive package to bring us here. We've got these number of jobs. Uh, we're going to be here this number of years. Uh, and hopefully the hope would be, as we approve that incentive for that company, is that they will stay here, uh, but that they will continue to uh, profit in North Carolina. Well, um, what they do is they get the, they win the project for North Carolina. They have a big press conference and announce, you know, Company X is bringing 500 jobs here to North Carolina. Well, reality, not all 500 are gonna originate in North Carolina, but they're gonna be uh, jobs from people from other, the other company, parent company that will come here. But that's it. That's the press conference. They're here, they're in business, they're in that county that they've chosen to go in. The film industry is quite different, and it's hard to drill down uh, the same type of incentives that we ask of, of corporations. It's a people business. It is, it is uh, open-ended when a film uh, industry set or is gonna be shot here uh, and they choose North Carolina, there is that a multiplier effect from that company. So it's really hard to uh, capture through these business models that are used by economists to capture the direct and indirect benefits to the state. Um, you know, it was in 1996 or 97 that Louisiana was the first state that said we're gonna offer a film incentive. You know, this is a discussion long ongoing uh, for the legislature and for policymakers throughout the country, uh, is whether you support incentives or not, whether they are these refundable incentives we do for uh, the film industry or whether they are the uh, JDIG, other incentives that we offer for major corporations. So do you support that or not? Well, the truth of the matter is those incentives are alive and well in this country. It's happening in every state, and we compete daily for economic development in the state with other, with other states. Uh, companies are before our Department of Commerce constantly with projects that, you know, waving their hand, choose me, choose me. Uh, well, the industry, the film industry, is different. And uh, I'm happy that North Carolina uh, has chosen to be a participant. You know, we are in competition already. Georgia has increased their tax incentive to 30 percent. Uh, so why do you think they're moving to build 
uh, a studio of a great magnitude down there. North Carolina can do that. We can compete. But I think we're in a, a position right now, a volatile position, that you and your industry, you're hearing, and I'm hearing constantly in my office, um, about company filming uh, industries that have said, or companies that have said, uh, we may not stay in North Carolina, we may move over to an Austin, Texas, for this year, for this season, because there's so much up in the air. North Carolina's got to, we've got to, as a General Assembly, make that decision about this incentive. Um, I don't, I don't want to go on yeah, and no, on. That's good. I'll ask you one follow-up question, I then I think we'll start opening it up to the, to the audience here. So go ahead and, and start raising your hands, and uh, people will start uh, uh, passing out some microphones. Um, you said that the, that the film industry is a people industry, and it's sort of inherently different from these, uh, from these other uh, industries and corporations that we give incentives to. Um, and, and, it's, and it's in measuring the economic impact of that or, or measuring what they give us is different so uh, and, may, and maybe more difficult to do um, so why is it worth it to, to, to offer this different credit to, to, to this industry rather than let's say um, expanding the credits for for other corporations or things like that where it might be easier to measure the economic impact well I think this this um, industry if you're out in the field as a, as a public policy person, and if you're reading anything today, you understand, or you should start understanding, that um, there is that multiplier effect. Uh, you heard the speakers before and the audience members that asked questions or, or made comments that, um, I'll give you an example. I have a daughter in Wilmington <laughs> who has a public relations firm, but um, she's also a freelance writer. She decided that she would, she's been seeing all these cast calls online. She uh, went online and responded. Uh, they called her to come in for, you know, an extra. So she went just so she could get inside and see what it really is like and knows that this issue of incentive uh, support or not support is out there and, of course, hears it in Wilmington. So she sort of wanted to educate herself and she went in and she was told, you know, for, and you commit to eight hours. So you're guaranteed $8 an hour, $64. Now, if you go and show up uh, and they don't select you uh, and you're there five hours, you're still paid your $64. But if you're called back the next day as an extra, that's time and a half. If you get, um, and I'm not sure if I have the correct term with all these professionals in the room, but if you are, if you get to come back, and be in a captured uh, role, I'm not sure what that's. Yeah, day play, or for just a, a second or five seconds. Then you get paid $12 an hour. But what she saw was amazing to her, was that multiplier effect, that indirect impact within her community. And that was that particular day for this set, this scene. They had rented two of the Coliseums. They had rented out a restaurant. They had, um, contracted with vans, rented vans, they had contracted with drivers, they rented tents, they rented tables, they rented chairs, uh, on and on. And then when she went in, she saw the number of people that were employed to manage these extra uh, extras that were there. That's hard to capture when we talk about why it's important for this industry. Now those people um, that, you know, the signage of where to go in the parking lot when you drive up as an extra. That was geared 
you know, for just one, uh, maybe a 10-second segment of this show that she was there to be an extra for. Um, I will go and say, and I did, I brought my script, <laughs> because scripts are changing constantly with this issue in North Carolina, which is good, but I wanted to point this out. And I do think that I do serve on Revenue Laws Study Committee that has just been reappointed. And Representative Kelly Alexander is also here tonight, and he serves on that committee with me. We are going to be studying this issue. Um, we need to make a decision, as I said, now. But some of the things that uh, we probably will be talking about is, do you keep the incentive? Uh, do we change it somewhat? Uh, do we at least give the industry a five-year a substantial feel that it's going to it's going to be here five more years. You operate on those production deadline dates of six months or a year or two years. We want you to keep coming back and keep refilming your or filming your next series here. We want HBO to come if they've got a new series that they've written. Do we come to North Carolina right now? They're debating whether to start this in April or not. Maybe we go to Texas. Maybe we go to Georgia. So what we need to talk about, oh, and the other things we'll be talking about is, is a grant. Do we go to a grant system? That's been talked about. Well, you know, grants, you've still got to have a state investment. And then there's, again, back to the picking and choosing who's going to receive the grant or not, so a competitive edge. And then the other is the resaleable tax credit. That's been done in some states. Um, but keep in mind, there are 67 states that offer, I mean, 37 states. <laughs> I'm 68. I want to be younger. But anyway, that offer this, that offer an incentive of some sort. So um, those are three of the probably potential. There may be more that we'll talk about. But I wanted to point out that what we do need, and there is a study that's taking place at NC State right now, and that is to how do we capture the direct and indirect benefit. Because I know taxpayers want to know that. They want that, that, and you want that for your industry. You don't want people to think you're here to get a handout just because you've come to North Carolina and we have this refundable. So some of the things on the score, the scorecard, scorecard, that I, scorecard that I think we need, and I'm trying to talk fast, is direct employment. How is that impacted? What, you know, what are these impacts? Uh, the con continuity of labor employment over a series of projects. Decision criteria of studios um, when you're selecting your sites in different locations. Um, using data collected across different projects and so on. These are the things. Identify elements that contribute to a permanent impact on the state economy. And I would argue with you that it does uh, create a permanent impact um, on this, this uh, state uh, long term that we, I know tourism is downplayed by some of the naysayers. It's hard to capture that. But there are people that are still going to Wilmington to drive down in a neighborhood where Dawson Creek was filmed 10 years ago. It's happening. These are not anecdotes. And, and you know, we, we, we made a, a decision based on some of the bill sponsors on voter uh, um, ID bill or voter bill um, based on anecdotes that there was fraud in the state. So here are the anecdotes that there, there is long-term uh, evidence. So if we're going to use anecdotes to pass certain other legislations, let's use it to keep our incentives in North Carolina. Uh, 
All right, I'm going to uh, open it up. We're going to come. I'm going to come back to you on some things, but uh, we're going to open it up to, to questions first. Uh, who's our person with the microphone over over here? Uh, yes, sir. Testing. Okay. Um, I think as any responsible uh, taxpayer citizen, I like to look at bottom line. I like to look at numbers. Now I'm biased because I'm in this industry, um, but I think it's really hard to make an argument based on innuendo, based on theory and based on, as you said, anecdotal evidence. So my sense is, if we're talking about bottom line figures, if this is a net loss, absolutely do away with it. But if we are actually bringing in from the peripheral um, expenses, the revenues, everything coming in, um, and I looked at the figures and with a billion dollar uh, spent since 2007 and $70 million going out, I'm having a hard, difficult time understanding why we would scrap that. Well, that's, that's a really great point. Um, that, that, that's a really great point, but they're actually, now, now the numbers are, uh, uh, there's another interesting number there, um, which is that there, there is actually a loss there, too. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. I'll talk about it. Um, back when the, uh, the incentives were being expanded, there was a study done in favor of it for the legislature. Um, and it's, of course, it's slipping my mind who did it. And what's that? No, that wasn't who it was. I, it'll come to me in a second, probably 10 minutes after I leave here. <laughs> uh, but even that, even that study, which did not look at opportunity cost, was coming back with that the state would receive 69 cents in revenue for every dollar expended in the new incentives and the expanded incentives. So it was projecting a net loss, uh, and that loss was not near as as large as what other state legislators legislatures have found with their with with their studies um, and. I've seen in Louisiana, Missouri, New Mexico, someone was here talking about New Mexico, um, Michigan, Massachusetts, Louisiana just did a, um, not Louisiana, um, Ohio. Louisiana had several studies. Um, Ohio just did a recent study uh, where they were losing 79 cents for every dollar invested. And the main thing is because of opportunity cost um, and trying to capture the what secondary opportunity cost was that yeah um, in trying to capture the secondary effects and the the other effects of the spending what economists need to do is also capture the effects the lost effects of the money that was so if if you take from taxpayers a b and c and give to d d is going to have a net positive effect in their spending and they are going to create positive secondary effects of their spending. However, A, B, and C are going to have net negatives, and there will be a net loss in the secondary effects of what their spending would have been. So a good economic study needs to try to, f to account for all of that. Okay, thanks. Um, who's next? Yes. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yes, Hi, sir. Hi, um, Julie Emmons with Charlotte Film Community. And I, I hope that I'm going to say this articul articulately enough. Um, I guess I, my confusion is it feels like a numbers thing to me. And basically we're saying we have an industry that is bringing in quite a bit of money. I don't feel like you did a good enough job explaining how that's not economically good for 
the state. And also my question, I guess, is just, I mean, it is bringing in money. So what's the plan when we decide we don't have incentives anymore? We're not playing the same game that everyone else is playing. Hundreds, thousands of us are out of work. We're not bringing any more money into the state. Are, I mean, is there a plan to replace the money that is coming in? No, you make a, a fair point, too, and, and that's I'm very aware of, of me being here and making this numbers case when I'm speaking to people whose jobs are affected. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I made a joke about wearing a black hat, and I'm not trying to do that. Um, but when I'm talking in my, in my capacity, I'm looking at state policies and trying to give what I think is the best plan for the state. And and in our studies of, of um, economic incentives and in looking at 20 years, which is a new project of the Locke Foundation, and looking at 20 years of peer-reviewed research, uh, the bulk of them find that economic incentives are net money losers, um, even though you have a highly observable group of benefits Benefactors, people who do well, because they are where the where the money goes. Uh, it's just when you're talking oh, about yeah. people losing uh, uh, losing money. Are you talking about uh, the the amount that the state spends, and then how much the state gets back? Are you talking about how much the state spends, how much the uh, and what that does for the economy? Well, yeah, the state. I mean, the state doesn't get money on its own. The state receives money from the taxpayers, um, but. And I don't know how many have uh, looked at public choice theory, but, I mean, essentially you have a, dis a very widely dispersed population of people who give very little through taxes and a very um, small group of people who get the benefits um, in terms of the incentive. So if there's an incentive for um, a business that gets a JDIG, for example, uh, that's the, Anything uh, one that of the they, incentive yeah, yeah. is given to uh, uh, given to, to, to corporations. Um, anything that they do will be highly visible because you are following the money. Uh, media is very interested in how it's going to be spent. Media, um, there will be press conferences announcing we've created these many jobs. Uh, look at our effects. But what we don't see is the unseen other opportunities of that money, whether there might have been a new cashier hired at a local mom and pop in, in Rose Hill, North Carolina, or um, if there could be a new auto parts store brought about, things like that. Um, that's why it's, it's, difficult, it's difficult to make that, to make that argument. That's beyond theoretical, really. and I understand that. No, that wasn't really my question. I mean, yes, you answered a good part of it. That wasn't really my question. My question is, um, um, I, I mean, this feels simple, so correct me because I'm, I'm sure it's not, but somebody's coming and telling me I'm going to give a dollar to you, and I'm saying, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you a quarter back, or you don't ever give me the dollar. I could walk away with 75 cents, or I could walk away with zero. And what's going to happen, I believe, if we lose these incentives, is we're not going to get a dollar. Georgia's going to get a dollar. And Louisiana's going to get a dollar. We're not going to have anything. So what's the plan to replace the 75 cents that we're losing? In my work, I've, you know, straight up have said that we should get rid of the incentives. And the plan would be, I think that the industry would still survive. I do not think that it would be as strong. I understand. I understand. I mean... Uh, the gentleman, the gentleman here, basically said the same thing. Um, 
it would still survive. It would not be near as strong as it is right now because it is getting so much from the state. It is bringing in um, people interested in the incentives. It, it does have a very strong effect. I understand that. I think that based on other states' experiences, other nations' experiences, and um, some of the research we've seen in North Carolina, that it is a net negative effect for the entire state, not for the industry, not for certain localities, but for the entire state. Now, let me, let me just uh, uh, try to give a little bit of context here as well. Uh, Julie did, did I, mentioned, I mentioned earlier that, uh, that, that our reporter, Julie Rose, did, did a story on this. And uh, one of the people that she talked to who is very knowledgeable about all this, who many of you probably know, is uh, Aaron Syret from the uh, North Carolina Film Office. And uh, now this is sort of a, um, Syret kind of calls this a guesstimate, I think you could say, because we, one of the things that we don't know about the incentives is uh, we don't actually know how much is paid back in taxes uh, uh, after after they're paid out, and that's uh, because the uh, you know your, your for instance Robert Downey Jr.'s tax return is not available to the public. Um, so we don't know that. But um, by 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 Syret's estimate, the the state is paying out about 100 and or the state the state paid out about 110 million dollars in incentives since 2007, right? So then we we say okay that created. Uh, about the, the, the film office estimates that created about a billion dollars of, I know there's a lot of numbers here, uh, of, of effect. But then the question is, how much money does the state get back? How much money goes back in terms of tax revenue? And uh, the answer, and answer to that is about guessing, about, uh, well, estimating, about $67 million, right? So you're spending 110, the state's giving $110 million to film companies and getting back about $67 million. So you're losing, uh, you know, uh, $40 million there. The, the, the question, I, one of the questions that, that I actually have for uh, Representative Carney is, you know, when you have things like, um, uh, we're talking about cuts to schools and things like that, this money is paid out, this, this, uh, that deficit is paid out of the general fund. So how do we decide that that's that we want to give this money to the to the film industry as opposed to um, you know other things like uh, like schools things like that? Okay, now remember you're talking about this this hundred million is paid out since 2009 2010. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So 40 million. So mm -hmm. do the math. Yes. That's not a drop in the bucket to what we would need to give our schools first of all, um, and the school funding is. It comes out of the general fund, but but I want to. It does, but I want to just back up and say, the the way that um, we have, and again, I go back to the scorecard that I was talking about, the current business model that has been used by the the opposition, some of them, is based on um, how we benchmark uh, a, a company that is here, like a, a BF Goodrich. <clears throat> These are comparing apples to oranges. Um, 1099s are what uh, most people that are pay, that are in the uh, extras and actors, that's what they file. They do that at the end of, of a year, and it goes on the next year. Um, and then the W-2s are what is reported. So the 1099 is not reported in that initial uh, setup. So I'm not sure that we can, can say that, and we can't say definitively uh, that we're capturing that um, benefit to the state. It's there. 
And again, we've got to come up with our model that's happening now through the study at NC State to develop our scorecard that, so we can show this. Um, and if you don't mind, I'm, I'm not the moderator, but I want to recognize Representative Kelly because he's had his hand up. I think he wants to respond. Sure. Well, let, let, okay. let's do this. We'll get, uh, certainly, we have, I think both of our microphones are But I mean, it's just out. to that one issue. Oh, to that one issue. On the, okay, sure. Yeah. Julie, can you do that here? The, the issue of the, the $40 million, the... Yeah, all right. And then we're going we're gonna to open it back up to the audience, too. I know a lot of you have, have questions, comments, things like that. He's and, the audience tonight. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. Um, first off, I, I'm prejudiced. Homeland is filmed in my district. Um, I'm, I'm in the funeral business, and one of my cars has been in the movie, but I haven't. Um, <laughs> I ha having said that, when you start measuring economic benefit, one of the things that you're not doing is looking at how many times a dollar turns over uh, in the state. The direct spend is only part of it, and we don't have a good way of knowing how many times that dollar turns over. And hopefully, as they develop better uh, economic models, we'll have that. But the other thing is, though, because this is an argument that is going to take place shortly, not one that's going to take place after we've you know, spent five years uh, academically studying it, you have to be cognizant of the fact that we're talking about incentives to develop an industry as opposed to incentives for developing a whale skinning plant. We can measure the economic impact of whale skinning and buggy whip manufacturing right well, but we're not as good in figuring out how we measure the impact of a non polluting industry, I want to stress non-polluting, because there's a whole other uh, set of measurements that we need to make when we're dealing with the whale skinners and the buggy whip manufacturers and what they are doing to the overall environment, that the entertainment industry may not be doing, but we're not here to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah, and actually we have, we have about 15 minutes left, so uh, uh, right, I want to make sure we move through pretty quickly. So. You, you should never give a politician a microphone, so I'm going <laughs> to sit down. He didn't. <laughs> All right, so we're going to move through. Uh, we have about 15 minutes, and we do have a hard out time of uh, 8.30, which I'm sure everybody here will understand. Um, so we're going to move through quickly. I'm going to ask people to hold their applause, because I think we know where you stand on this. Um, <laughs> And I uh, want to make sure we just we get to as many people as possible, and and that also means, of course, keeping our remarks brief. So uh, our next person is uh, right over here with the microphone. Yes, ma'am. Hi. Um, I work on commercials. I've been producing them and production managing for 10 or 15 years, and um, I can't speak to Robert Downey Jr.'s payroll, but I can say that when people come here and work from out of state, they pay state taxes for, and that is calculated. That is an absolutely firm fact when we're thinking about the incentive. And the other thing I wanted to say real briefly is um, the difference between film production and BF Goodrich or another just corporation is that each film is often its own, a company is formed just for that. So it's, you can't, they don't set up shop and, you know, keep making widgets day in and day out. That is sort of the biggest difference, I think, and that's why the usual 
what you would say about economic incentives don't really apply. And that's it. Thank you. That's true. That's a very point. So, uh, one note I'd make on that is uh, uh, under the current incentives, uh, corporate taxes from those corporations set up do not get taken out by the state. So that means you can set up a corporation here uh, for a film company, but those corporate income taxes are not captured by North Carolina. Um, well, okay. that's, where, that's, yeah. that's where the refundability becomes such a big issue is they form the corporation, they take a loss and get the tax credit, and if the tax credit is higher than the corporate liability, which it always is, uh, the state writes a direct check. Um, the, le the legislature this year discussed um, a proposal that would have ended the refundability portion, and this was the part that I was saying was, was likely unconstitutional. Um, and it would have changed it so that there was a rollover in the tax credits for up to five years, if I remember correctly. Uh, but the uh, the industry lobby soundly rejected that and said it was it would have killed the industry. Right. And refundability basically means that uh, the state can pay out more than it right. than, than it takes in. Okay, oh, by the way, the name of the, the the people who did the study that I mentioned uh, was Ernst and Young. Oh, you <laughs> Sorry about that. All right, who's got our next? Who's got our mic here? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Yes, just a couple of things. Num number one, if if you don't believe in incentives, then you don't believe in business in this world because biz big business all over the country works on incentives. The oil companies get it, the farmers get it, and I think it's working here because look at how many people are here. The other thing is the uh, the incentives that were proposed. They were laughed at. And if we don't have incentives like everybody else has in this country, there will be no film business here. There will be some commercials, but that will be it. They won't come back. Yeah, and we can certainly see that there's, uh, uh, on that graphic that we had before, if you remember, it kind of did that, and then it goes up there. That spike is when the uh, the credit got, got expanded. So there's no question on the, uh, I think that, Everybody would agree, there's no, like you were saying before, too, there's no question on that. Let's, um, you know, California has, since 2009, had to do their own film incentives. Uh, and, and over there, they call it a runway, they call them runway productions if they're produced anywhere outside of California. And in Toronto, Canada, it's the same thing. There's an argument in Canada where we really should have incentives just for, just for Toronto. Let's not have Saskatchewan, let's not have some of the other provinces um, have film incentives. In, in Europe, the uh, European Union has talked about capping incentives so that the different member states there no longer continue to, to infight among themselves with uh, continuing race to the bottom with, the, with incentives and changing the incentive structures. I want to point out, too, that um, interjecting on that with California, Hollywood and Vine, probably most of you already know this, some of you don't, but there's a 100-mile radius that they drew around Hollywood and Vine and said, any filming that's done within here, uh, you don't pay for, if a company wants to come in, you don't pay for your hotel. You're, you're safe within that district. Well, that's changed. And I have a, a son, I have six children, and they're all in a creative field of some sort. Um, but um, this particular son is in advertising, and he used to live out there, and he still flies back and forth with his work. but. Um, and he he will do commercials for the company he does ads for. And so companies are saying, okay, if you go outside and all the equipment is there, you don't have to truck it somewhere else or fly it if you're filming at another location. But companies are now seeing that there are other alternatives besides just in that 100-mile radius of Hollywood and Vine. 
So they say, okay, if I go outside of that radius, then I've got a truck and I've got to move all my equipment. But look, the new, the new kid on the block, and this has been for several years out there, you can go to Wilmington, North Carolina. They've got a studio there. That industry is growing in that state. This is not just happening in the last five years. This has been going on for quite a few years. And so what's happened is now, and I'm not into all the booms and the, the cranes, but people have bought, um, one guy called and said, I bought two cranes and I leased them out. So these film companies now can come here. They can lease or rent this equipment these cottage industries, businesses that are building up and booming, entrepreneurship, it's a different industry. Ladies and gentlemen, he's not the only one that is opposed to this. Representative Alexander and I serve with 120 in the House, 50 in the Senate. There are a lot of people, like our guest here tonight, that does not support this incentive. We have to educate them. And that's why we need this new model to come in and say, we can prove it to you. We've got to do it. We've got to show it and show the value. Where is the value in 4,000 people that have full-time jobs in this state because of this industry and 14,000 that have part-time jobs? There's a value there. We've got to capture it. Okay. We have about – we're going to do the whole applause thing. Um, and uh, we have um, – about seven minutes, and uh, Julie waving her arms at me. Okay. Ah, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going to do that. So we, right, so we're gonna, we have about seven minutes. I want to see if we can get seven comments, see if we can do it. Sir. I'll be quiet. Oh, ma'am, yes. Sorry, I'm super short. Um, I just wanted to say that I think the kind of one of the biggest issues with this whole discussion, something that I'm really glad that so many people from so many different backgrounds are approaching, is that it's very hard to quantify the cultural capital that's gained by the film industry being here. And I think that um, we've been talking about how difficult it is to track those dollars, right? But it's much more difficult to track the dollars of the students in school who are going to stay in North Carolina and go to North Carolina colleges because they can follow their dream of being in the arts industry by staying in North Carolina. They don't have to move away. You know, the people who move in, you know, people used to move here to go to Chapel Hill and Duke and care about, you know, basketball, and now they can come here because they can pursue arts in a really palpable way. Um, and, and so I think that, that it's sexy to live in North Carolina again. Um, and I think that the film industry and the incentives really um, play a huge role in that. You know, that's right. a, it's a fair point. And I would say that's a very fair point and something to bring to the legislature to have a good public policy discussion and debate, uh, have good data, have good economic data that looks at costs and benefits, but also bring up things like that so that um, policymakers can make an informed decision um, on what they consider they value. Great. Thank you. Um, okay. Who's got, uh, sir? And then we're going we're to go to you next, sir. So we're going to go to you and then you. So I feel like if we were actually serious about promoting the film industry and building the film industry in North Carolina, we would lower that $250,000 minimum for incentives and support our local filmmakers and support the people who are already here who are working and slaving every day on making their art. Thank you. Uh, sir. Real quickly, uh, Julie had a great symposium on the incentives rebates, and uh, Aaron himself said that if the incentives go away, the film business goes away. Um, in reference to Ms. Carney's comment, 
Apparently, 36 other states think this is a good idea. We're not alone. We need to be competitive. Um, it was 44. It was 44. And to, I won't argue with you on that, but uh, certainly there's a chance to build an industry. North Carolina is to be noted for tobacco and textiles. The fellows at this symposium who were producers for Banshee said, it's a product. We make a product. This can be a place where we make a good product. That's what films are. We go where we can make it for the least amount of money and get the biggest bang for our buck. I would say um, one thing about the incentives that I think Representative Carney would agree is tax breaks, corporate tax breaks, increase investment and interest in the industry. And all I would say is why not cut corporate taxes completely instead of taking from one group and giving to another, cut them completely, and then grow the economy throughout. Why favor one industry? All right, who's got our, who's got our, our mic now? I still think we need a tax uh, reform in North Carolina. We didn't do it this, this session, and we still need to do that. We're in danger of going broadly off topic. Um, <laughs> Uh, I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, sir. And then, uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, one of your first comments was, uh, does it benefit one at the cost of many? Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it, uh, for example, if it's a $10 million spending project, refund 25% back to the company. If I'm not wrong, that's all new money being brought into the state, not the cost of the individual taxpayer, Correct. That's money, okay. money is fungible. Um, the, the money comes from the Treasury uh, as in the, uh, the refund, the, the rebate, uh, and that money comes from taxpayers. But that's not, it's not just from one. Um, it's not from the industry to the industry. That $10 million wouldn't be in this state in the first place if we didn't have the incentive to draw in the project from out of state. That's, that's correct. But there's no way of knowing that without doing a proper economic study, because you are not following the you're not following the alternate uses of the money, the alternate investments. Um, when when you have an econometric study that looks at econ, um, opportunity costs as well as benefits, then you can make that that argument. All right, let's see if we can get. Uh, we have two minutes. See if we can get two more. Uh, yes, sir. And I work with Real Work Studios. I know a number of you know Real Works. We do receive the dailies of Homeland. Uh, we did the post production for Hunger Games. We just had a full length feature, The Ultimate Life, that was just released. And I do film financing. <laughs> all I do all day long is I receive scripts and build the economic models to bring films here. I will tell you definitively that $10 million he was talking about will not come here, period, if we don't have the incentive. Okay, Period. Go ahead and, it, um, and, and, and pull. I think that's, yeah. It, and when, when, when we build these financial models for investors to come in, that incentive is absolutely necessary. I can tell you unequivocally, without it, you won't get the $10 million here. All right. I, I, I will grant you that with respect to the film industry. Yeah. To jump on top of that, I can speak for a lot of people here, I think. I am tired of seeing feature films going to Atlanta, going to Louisiana. We did a billion dollars over since 2007. Louisiana did a billion dollars last year. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of jobs. 
All right, we're going to do the, the last comment right, right here. I know you've had your hand up for pretty much forever, so. Thank okay. you. Um, well, I worked at uh, Universal Pictures and Physical Production, and uh, I have a film in theaters right now, and I've spoken with executives at Lionsgate, Disney, Universal, and they've all said that if the, the incentives weren't here, they wouldn't film here. And that, you know, I've looked at budgets, and I've done carbon calculations, and I've seen every dollar that is spent in, for Fast 6 in each individual country. And I have direct knowledge and know that uh, one of the reasons why I moved back to Charlotte two weeks ago was because, yeah, A, I was, grew up here. And uh, there's such a strong community here, and it will dissipate and will move away if there are no films that are coming here, if there are no incentives because the, you know, like, the, you know, 37 other states are doing them. And I have a $2 million uh, film that we are in the process of, you know, hopefully, you know, going into principal photography either next spring, next fall, that will go somewhere else if, you know, the incentives weren't here. I want to just quickly jump in and say definitively, I don't think we can say they won't come here. There may be one or two, and that's a, it's a good point to make because if one or two are here, we're not growing the industry. We don't need for these, these uh, filming companies to, to go away. I agree with the homegrown companies. We need to learn, figure out a way within this model to support those. We have to have this discussion. I'm glad we're having it as to the 36 states. It's been a moving target of which state has kept it, which has lowered it, which has brought it back. And I'll tell you right now, our neighbors in South Carolina, they eliminated it. Guess what? They're scrambling like crazy to get it back. They've brought the film, the film credit back. And they're probably going to outdo us in the long run if we don't stay ahead of the game. I'm tired of North Carolina losing to other states, not just in this industry, but in other issues around the state. We are losing jobs in the state because of what message we're sending from North Carolina on many fronts. Well, let me follow up with you there on just the, the we're, I think we're going to end it with this question, which is that I want to get your political acumen here and just tell us what you think um, sort of the uh, situation in Raleigh looks like. I mean, what are the prospects for, for these well, as you see it right now? Right. Uh, there's bipartisan support, so you can say that, but how many on either side do you have? Um, I think that uh, we have our work cut out for us. Uh, in, in um, moving forward, I think Representative Kelly would, uh, Alexander would agree with me. Um, those, there are a lot of us on revenue laws that, that support the incentive, but there's a lot of, of room that's saying we've got to rethink it, we've got to look at it, and how do we do it again? I talked about is there, shall it be a grant program? Shall it be a resaleable credit? Uh, should we keep the, the refundable credit and, and tinker with it, go up or down? Something will happen, but I hope that we will convince between now and, and the first of the beginning of short session that this is an industry worth keeping and that we will say, let's at least commit to a five-year, ten-year, whatever. I don't like putting a time limit on it. We don't do it with other companies. We don't need to do it here. But there's going to have to be a compromise, I'll have to tell you. There'll have to be some sort of how do we get there unless we just flat out roll out and show there is a value. I don't know that, you know, all of you say we don't have to prove it. You know it. Well, to politicians, you've got to prove it. So we've got our work cut out for us. But I think there is an appetite for this. Obviously, it is because revenue laws does not just study any issue. It's the issues that are of importance to the state. All right, let's give a big hand to both of our guests for being here.